Well, I want you to get your Bible turned to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to talk today about a place called Gethsemane. And at the end of the service, we're going to receive communion together. So you picked a really good day. You know, we some churches do communion every week. I don't have a problem with that, but we only do communion about three or four times a year. Some people say, why do you do it so infrequently? And the reason for me is because communion is such a special time. I don't ever want it to become trite. I don't ever want it to become normal. I don't ever want it to just be something that we just do. So it's a special time. And uh, this is one of those special occasions today you're going to get to be a part of. Look at Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them. These are his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, with James and John, with him. And he began to be very sorrowful and very heavy. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Has anyone ever felt that way? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Wait here and watch with me. And he went on a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And from that passage, I have preached a message before and you have heard it before. I'm sure called the nevertheless prayer, that prayer where that you pray the prayer. You can't help but pray it selfishly because we all can't help but pray selfishly. We pray. We have to pray. We just have to pray. God, take care of us. God, do what I need done. But at the end of that prayer, we come to a place of maturity in our lives. We learn. We say, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that's where that message comes from, the nevertheless prayer. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Well, this is a passage that I think a lot of people are familiar with. This is, this is the last night of Jesus' life here on earth. And this is what's going on. He has just had the last supper with the fellas, and they've gone out into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's gone out here to pray. This is a place where he uh, probably had spent quite a bit of time. It's just right outside the city there. Uh, it's a very beautiful place, and this is where they went to, to rest sometimes, just kind of get their minds right and to pray. But Jesus knows that uh, this particular night that the soldiers are on their way to come and get him, and he also knows that there's a cross that is awaiting him in just a few hours. And so Jesus has always known all of his life that this time was coming. And he knew that it had to be this way. He knew there was no other way. There just simply was no other way. Uh, there was no other sacrifice that could be sinless. There was no other way for God to atone for our sin than through the, the sacrificial blood of a spotless lamb which was jesus jesus knew this time was coming and there was no other way but yet in this particular moment now that it is all coming down he's feeling the weight of that responsibility and and his human response to that like i said he's probably been here to this garden lots of times before but on this particular night it's different this is um a time for intense prayer. And even though his disciples, the guys that are closest to him, are with him, they, they still don't sense the gravity of this moment. 
even the three that were the, on the inner, the inner circle, even they don't sense the, the, the actual gravity of this. Is he has taken them with him on even further to a place. He's allowed them into a place in his life that he wouldn't allow anybody else. He's allowed them into a place that you only allow the people that are closest to you to see a side of you that is vulnerable. You know what I'm talking about? A place, the place in you that is weak, the place in you that struggles. Jesus has allowed these three guys to see that part of him. And in that moment of his deepest despair and them being with him in that moment, they go to sleep. And how difficult that would be to know I have entrusted my feelings to some people. I've allowed them into a special place in my heart that I didn't let anybody else go. And even in that moment, even in my darkest hour, those who are the closest to me have gone to sleep. And he prays and he suffers and he struggles in those last few moments. You know, Gethsemane was a difficult place to be on that night. This was a place that these guys understood. They'd been there before. Like we said, it, it had always been a place of, of rest. It had always been a place of relaxation. It's always been a place of peace. But tonight it's become something very different. I want you to sense that. If you've ever spent time there in the Garden of Gethsemane on a night like that, you know what I'm talking about. That that the place turns to 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 a, to a, a lonely place, a difficult and a sad place. Its its name should be the first clue as to how this place would be remembered. The actual name Gethsemane means crushed olives. This is not a flower garden. This is not a vegetable garden. This is an olive grove. And olives are grown and then crushed right here for their oil. This is what this garden is about. The oil that comes from the crushing will be used for some very specific and necessary things. The oil that comes from the, from the crushed olive will be nourishment for some people. You, they'll eat. They'll use this olive oil for food. And it'll be, secondly, it'll be used for illumination because they'll use this oil in their lamps. And it'll also be used for healing because they'll use this oil medicinally. But before they can use the oil for all those great purposes, first the olive has to be crushed. And the oil has to be extracted. Some of y'all are way smarter than I am and you're way ahead of me, aren't you? The benefits are incredible. But on this particular night, Jesus is being crushed so that millions of people, billions of people from that point on will be nourished and they'll be illuminated and they'll be healed. Those things won't be able to happen. The prayers that you pray in this room today for healing, for help, for direction, for guidance, for wisdom. None of those things will be able to happen. They, they can't come to fruition unless the olives are crushed in the garden tonight and extracted. Hmm. That'd be a great message to preach, but that's not the one I'm going to preach today. The results from the crushing, though, are monumental, but 
The crushing itself will be unbearable if God doesn't step in on this night and help Jesus. I thought about this message today and I thought about how many people this will be relative to. Not everybody in this room is in the Garden of Gethsemane today, but some of you are, some of you have been, and some of you are headed there. And for that reason, I would say to you, just as Jesus said to the twelve, you might want to stay awake here for the next few minutes. (laughs) You might want to stay awake, even though some of them didn't heed the warning, because of the fact that whether you say, this isn't for me, I think I'll just read the bulletin. I will promise you that if this message isn't for you today, it be for you before too long. Because all of us will spend time in the Garden of Gethsemane. And sometimes that place that right now, the place that you look forward to, we talk about the hammocks in our life. Sometimes the hammock becomes the Garden of Gethsemane. Sometimes the place of rest, the place of relaxation, the place of peace You find yourself going to that place because you need that. But very different things happen in the Garden of Gethsemane sometimes. Sometimes that's where the olives are crushed. You still with me? Let's move on. There's a pastor named Steve Riley. He says Gethsemane is the place where at least three things happen. He said Gethsemane is the place where, number one, your prayers are not answered as you would like them to be. I, I, uh, I taught Wednesday night. Talk, teaching about the, the juicy fruit of the spirit. And the first week we hit love. And last week we hit joy and peace. And in the midst of teaching joy and peace. I, I, I embarked upon a phrase. Uh, and, and talked about it for a few minutes there. Uh, the phrase. Christian Fiction. And how many times Christian fiction outsells Christian nonfiction. People love to buy up Christian fiction. Because Christian fiction is the stuff that says, Hey, if you follow Jesus, you can all be rich. If you follow Jesus, you can all be well. If you follow Jesus, you can all be healthy and happy and strong. And nothing ever bad happens to people that turn to Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, like I did on Wednesday, the fallacy, the, 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 the thing that scares me and hurts me and so many others the worst about Christian fiction. Christian fiction doesn't work because when people come to Christ after believing Christian fiction... One of two things happens to them when they start living a life and they start trying to go into maturity. Number one, life hits like it does for everybody. And they say, number one, this Christian thing doesn't work. Or number two, they say, this Christian thing works, but apparently I am not good enough, so it doesn't work for me. Christian fiction is very damaging. Christian fiction is what fills up buildings and Event centers and sells books and tapes and CDs because people want to hear, how can I miss? How can I be exempt? How can I skate through life and not ever have to be touched by the unpleasant things? And there are some that will write books out there and make lots of money and give you formulas and ways that you can escape all of those things But I'm here to tell you today, the sad truth of the fact of the matter is that's Christian fiction. The nonfiction of Christianity says 
Mm. It's going to rain on the just and the unjust. It has to. You can't keep praying the rain away. If you keep praying the rain away, then someday you won't have any garden. You won't have any vegetables. You won't have any food. If it doesn't rain, nothing gets produced. You can't keep praying the rain away. But joy is our umbrella. We'll go through the rain and we'll still get wet. That brings me right back now to where we're going about this Garden of Gethsemane. And this first point that is being made. That the Garden of Gethsemane is the place where that your prayers are not answered as you'd like them to be. Case in point, Jesus himself praying in the garden God, let this cup pass. He said, change this situation. Work this out for my good. Don't let us have to go through this. Any of you praying that prayer right now? Have you prayed it? Are you praying it? God, fix this. God, heal me. God, take care of this. God, let this be over. God, let this be done. So many of us are praying and wishing our lives away because we don't like the particular season that we are in. And because we so dislike the particular season we are in, we're wishing it away and thereby losing the good that's also happening with the bad. I'm not supposed to pray for this season to be over, but perhaps I'm supposed to be learning something in this season Perhaps there's olives that are being crushed so that eventually there'll be nourishment and illumination and healing for someone else. Mm, That won't sell. This crowd might not get bigger next week. Somebody might go try to find a place where that they're going to have a lot more fun. Sometimes we have fun, don't we? Sometimes we laugh. Sometimes we joke. But the truth of the matter is we're going to get right down to the facts. Because we want to be mature and we want to be the ones that when it rains and when the trial comes and when the hardship comes, we don't get angry and shake our fist at God and start standing on the word and demanding his promises. Instead, we remember all of the promises of God. Oh, I like the promises of God that say... I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. I don't like the ones that say, in this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise, too, of Jesus. That promise of Jesus is just as valid. It doesn't say, if you believe in me, you shall never walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and you shall never fear. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, because you're going to walk there. It was an actual place. I preached that a couple of years ago. That was an actual place that people had to go through the valley of the shadow of death to get from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was the only oasis. It was the only place of water. It was the only place that they could get food. And all the thieves knew it, and they hung out there, and they would rob people and kill them and take their stuff. And nobody wanted to have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. So David said, yeah, even though I had to go, I have to go through the valley of the shadow of death to get from one to the other. Even though I have to go there, it's can't get out of it, but I'm still not going to fear any evil because you're with me. Mm. God let this cup pass. 
And yet in God's love, he knows more than we do. And even though he understands how you feel, he has a better plan. Many times in order for his will to be done, for the best to come, we have to be crushed like the olives. It's not to destroy us, but it's for his purpose. It's for for the the purpose of our life and for the help of others. I I read a story about a a little girl that she loved to follow her big brother around. One day he was going to take her to the place that he loved to play. It was on top of a hill, but it was a very steep and rough and ragged terrain to get there. And as she followed him to the foot of the hill and he began to climb, his hands and his feet, he began to climb from one stone to the next And she stood back in dismay and he said, are you coming? And she was afraid. And she said, there's not a smooth place on the hill. She said, it's so steep and it's so jagged. And he said, well, yeah, how else would we ever be able to climb to the top if it wasn't for all of the stones and the bumps? Sometimes your prayers are not answered the way that You would like for them to be, but the promise of God is not that they will be, but that they will be answered. Hmm. And that the best will come from the way that God answers them. There's something else about the Garden of Gethsemane that you need to understand. Number two, the Garden of Gethsemane is a place where those that are closest to you cannot help. Pastor, I like this message less and less the further we get into it. What's that mean? Just like the disciples, they're going to pray and wait with you for a while. But pretty soon, their own needs and responsibilities will overtake their thoughts. That is why that any time there's a major tragedy like a tornado or a hurricane or whatever, that the first responders, that that everything happens so quickly because the people that do that for a living and they know about what it's going to take, like Salvation Army and all these different ones, Red Cross, whatever it might be, they know that the human nature of people, that is get as much as you can, as quick as you can, because in a couple of weeks, everybody's going to forget about this. And it's not that we don't care. It's not that we don't love. It's not that, that, we, that, we, that we want to forget. It just happens. Something that happened two or three weeks ago is kind of out of sight and out of mind. Although the person that just lost their house in a tornado is in not much better shape three weeks later than they were on the day it happened. But we can send a bottle of water and a roll of toilet paper and an offering And maybe we can offer to run down and cut some limbs. But what they really need is about two months later or three months later for people to get up a group and go in and say, okay, now what can, now what can we do? But it's just not our human nature. It's not that we don't care. It's not that we don't love. It's not that we, that we're not concerned. But what happens is this life happens to all of us and you can be very moved by something today. But two weeks from now, you're going to have your own thing going on and you're not going to remember that anymore. And because of that, the principle in this passage holds true. Those closest to you can't help. 
the crushing is still just as devastating as it was initially. But you realize, I'm going to have to depend on God. Others will be there if you specifically ask for them. But they won't do it otherwise. But God's not going to forget. He's not going to get sidetracked. And eventually you realize that nobody can help but the Lord. You realize you're going to have to go on this alone. You're going to have to pray on alone. You're going to feel all alone. But the scripture says you're not. Listen to this poem. I don't read to you very often, but I'll have to read this because I don't have it memorized. God has not promised skies always blue or flower-strewn pathways all our life through. God hasn't promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, and peace without pain. But God has promised strength for the day and rest for the labor and light for the way, grace for the trials and help from above and unfailing sympathy and undying love. That's what God has promised. So those that are the closest to you, they may not be able to help, but God can and he will and after the initial setback, after the initial crushing, after everybody else goes back to their lives and doing what they have to get done, you'll find yourself alone, but you'll find yourself with God. Because he'll still be there. And the third thing about the place of Gethsemane is this. It is here that you feel the full weight of God's will. This is the place where you feel the full weight of God's will. Luke gives an account of this in his writings where he said that, that Jesus is the same, the same story. Jesus was full of pain and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Matthew 26, 38, then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Have you ever been there? Hmm. Wait here and watch with me. And the scripture said they did for a little while, but then he was on his own. And at that point, he felt the full weight of God's will. And he realized a very important point that, again, he led by example for us that we must realize. Are you ready for this? No one could bear this cup but him. Did you hear that? Take your pen and write this down in your Bible or on your notes. Your cup is your cup. Write it this way on your paper. My cup is my cup. It's not anybody else's cup. You hear that? I need somebody to bear this cup for me. I need somebody to help me carry this. I need somebody to do this for me. Can't nobody bear your cup. You'll have to bear it. Mm. We can pray with you. We can be there with you. But in the end, it is your cup. See, God's will for your life is just that. It's his will for your life. So we can pray for the cup to pass just like Jesus did. But in the end, it's going to have to be accepted. Jesus summed it all up by saying, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Because only the fulfilling of God's will for our life will satisfy the purpose for us being here. That's it. 
and how I would love to spare you your cup. But I can't. The truth of the matter is I'm going to suffer and so are you. Someday the Lord's going to call all of us home. And between now and then, there's going to be some of you that, that bear the cup of illness. Some of you are going to bear the cup of tragedy. And some of you are going to bear the cup of, of terrible loss. And some of you are going to bear the cup of, of, of severe persecution. And some of you are going to bear the cup of tremendous trials. I wish it wasn't so. I wish we could pray and keep it from befalling us. But the truth is that we all have a cup to bear just as Jesus did. And aren't you glad he accepted his cup? What if he could have prayed it off? What if he'd have prayed the prayer and the father would have changed his mind and said, all right, let's, I can't bear to see you go through this. What if he would have done that? God knows the end result of me accepting my cup and of, of then me being a victor and me being an overcomer through all of it. I say it all the time, but I, I seriously believe God is more concerned about what he's doing in me than what's happening to me. That's what it's all about. I still find myself when I pray for you saying, oh God, heal so-and-so. Oh God, bless their finances. God, touch them. God, help them. God, I pray they won't be discouraged. God, I pray they won't be afraid. And God just smiles. And then I find at the end of that, I say, but God, you know I got to pray that way because I love them. They're my family. I got to pray that, God. I got to. I can't help it. I'm selfish that way. But when I get to the end of it, but I still trust you. I still believe you. My hope is still in you. And nevertheless, not my will, because my will wouldn't produce good things. we got to have yours. God, I would pray that you would fix this and heal it and change it and do it and all of it. But God, I know that unless the olives are crushed, the oil can't be extracted. Mm. And so I am learning as you are learning to accept my cup because here's what I've realized. One minute in glory is going to erase years of heartache and hardship. One minute. Tell yourself that. When you're in the garden and you're on your knees and you're praying and just like sweating drops of blood and you feel like you're dying and you're sorrowful unto death remember to tell yourself just one minute and glory will erase all of this many many years ago there was a fellow who lived his name was Horatio Spafford he was married and he had four beautiful daughters lived in Chicago and their house was destroyed in a fire and they virtually lost everything they owned. And Mr. Spafford decided it was time for a change for the family. And so he decided that he would move his family overseas to France. This is back in the day before the 
planes were flying like they are now, so he booked passage on a ship. But he made sure that he booked it on at a time when there would be a lot of other Christians on the boat because they were going to be on the boat for a long time, you know. And he wanted his wife and his daughters to have good fellowship because he couldn't go with them at the time. Business required him to stay in Chicago for a while. But he sent his wife and his daughters on the ship onto France to make preparation for the day that he would be there very soon. On that voyage, another vessel rammed into the ship they were on and all four of his beautiful daughters perished in that water, went down to the bottom, that watery grave. His heart was broken. He got on another boat and headed that way. And when he was apprised of the fact that he was right over the spot where his daughters had drowned. He began to hear and hum perhaps these words in his soul. They're the ones you've been listening to Neil play. As he stood on that boat over the graves of his daughters, he said, it is well with my soul. How do you get there? We, we listen to that story and it breaks our hearts. But how many times has the song he wrote because of the heartache he endured been a huge comfort to you? If the olives weren't crushed... There wouldn't be no song. This, this garden called Gethsemane is a beautiful, it's a peaceful, it's a restful place to visit today when you're in Jerusalem. Those olive trees are amazing. You, you've been seeing pictures of them throughout this message. They're amazing. In fact, those trees just continue to live on and on. And some of them were perhaps even there. Some of these trees were there the night Jesus was there. They've been alive that long. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to be there knowing that this is where Jesus used to come to pray. It's a great source of comfort. But one night, 2,000 years ago, that very same restful, peaceful place became a very dark and troublesome place for Jesus. You know, we all speak out of the place where we are. And so forgive me for a moment. I won't do this for long. But I can't help but relive my own experiences and along with you and when I studied this passage and I realized how the garden had changed how that at one time it was a restful and peaceful place the disciples looked forward to going to and then all of a sudden it turned to a terrible frightful place I, re I was reminded of a couple of weeks ago in my dad's room he was placed in this he was placed in this really beautiful room beautiful peaceful setting and at 11.15, the same night, he breathed three times and he slipped out into eternity. It was a beautiful, peaceful place for my dad. The same place was very frightening and dark for my mama. The very same place. The Garden of Gethsemane. 
is a very lonely place. He had borne his cup and now she bears hers. Just like you bear yours. A lot of you are in that garden right now. You feel literally the weight of being crushed. You can feel the weight. And I'm going to leave you with these words of comfort. Although it's true that, that you're in a place called Gethsemane. And that your prayers aren't being answered the way you wish they would. And that you feel like you're all alone. And that you feel the full weight of God's will. I want you to remember the final words of Jesus after he had accomplished God's will. After he had dealt with his own cup. He said in Matthew 28, 20. To the fellows that were here after he appeared back to them. I'll be with you always. Even until the end of the world. I'll never leave you. Never forsake you. Even though all those things about Gethsemane are true. Even though they're true. I'll be with you. Always. Guys. That has to be our comfort. We want the comfort to be. God heal me. And miraculously he does. That's what we want. But when that doesn't happen. God is saying, I know you're sick. I know others can't bear to be with you. But I'm here with you. I know you're hurting. But I'm here with you. Will God make it stop? Well, I'm here with you. Paul said, I prayed three times to take this, take this thing from me. and I'm with you. My grace is sufficient. I'm with you. Hmm. Crushing is necessary. The garden is necessary. Thankfully, we don't stay in a place called Gethsemane forever. Huh? God won't allow you to rest there too long, nor will he allow you to pine there too long. One way or another, you're not going to stay there forever. This is a seasonal thing. And you'll go back and forth there many times in your life for various reasons. Sometimes to rest, sometimes to cry. But whether you're there or here, Jesus said he'll be with you. Is this your word today? If this is your word, if this is your word, stand to your feet. Is this your word? John 16, 
33, God's word translation. This is Jesus speaking. I've told you this so my peace will be with you. And I'm thankful for the peace that passes understanding, aren't you? And then Jesus went on. In the world, you will have trouble. You just will. But cheer up. I have overcome the world. What's he saying? It's another message for you that want to take it and preach it right. Three key words there. Peace, trouble, and overcome. Peace, trouble, and overcome. You will have trouble. But there is a peace that God gives his children. And because he has overcome, you will overcome. Lord, I thank you for your word. You see every person standing here right now. You see the brokenness in their lives. You see, God, how they feel like the olives that are in the press. The literal crushing. God, those... Those times... When the weight is so heavy that we don't even know what to think. We don't have a clue how to pray. And how at those moments we just fall. We just fall on the grace and the peace. Somehow, Lord, there's joy because it's not based on circumstance like happiness. But in the midst of it all, we experience that joy. Lord, there's a lot of people here today that are worried and afraid, broken, confused. Some have even experienced doubt. My mind is going back to the fellow I visited with a few days ago, God, that he didn't know how to express the sorrow in his life. He said, I feel like I'm losing my faith. And I know you aren't going to let him go and he's not going to lose his faith, but he didn't know how, God. He did. We get in that place where we don't even know how to fashion our words. We don't know how we feel, so we don't know how to communicate and we don't know how to pray. We are just broken. We are just broken. Today, our comfort is not that this season is miraculously going to end by a prayer today because it might not. But our comfort is that nourishment and illumination and healing is going to come from this crushing for somebody and that you're going to be with us throughout all of it and that one moment in glory is going to allow us to forget all the times of tears and hurt thank you for it Jesus 
Now let your Holy Spirit just begin to rain in this room. Let it just begin to rain down. God, even though our prayers aren't answered the way we'd like them to be, you can still rain your presence down. That's Christian truth. You can still let your presence saturate this room. We can still walk out of here comforted by a knowing.